All right, the Fan Morning Show is back on the air. Sportsnet 590, the fan Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning, and we've reached the precipice. Game four of the Eastern Conference semifinal. It's better when you say it that way, by the way. Mm. The Eastern Conference semifinal. Sounds, sounds like you've accomplished that something. That sounds so much better. It does. Than the second round. Down 3-0 does not sound that great. But the Leafs will try to change that. Start the process of a comeback tonight in Sunrise. Uh, it's an Azza party. Jeff Azza party filling in for producer Daniele this morning. Uh, big, big day. Big day. Uh, it's a... It's a day where we can like fully and completely go in on our takes mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. Or we got to have to step back, take a little breather, let this relaxed schedule play out and see if there's a different story that needs to be written. Your mood, your vibe this morning, Brent Gunning, with game four of the second round. Finally, finally it's here. Uh, I never thought we would see the day uh, when the sun set on Sunday Eve with the Leafs trailing three, nothing. I really never thought we would get here to Wednesday, both because my life immediately felt worse. And two, these games are way too far apart. How dare you make me talk about this death March for three (laughs) days, NHL Monday. That was all good. Okay. You're coming off the bat of it. I could have done that show on no hours sleep. I basically did. That was easy yesterday. Continue to get the licks in. Now we've got a third straight day of crushing these guys before they play tonight. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. If the, if the unthinkable happens and they do come back, how much crow do we all have to eat? Is there going to be a, oh, we were all wrong and these guys proved, I don't know that it does prove us all wrong. It more to the point, we talk about this with William Nylander, he's the king of it, of two bad periods, and then he comes out in the third looking like Gretzky in his prime, and somehow that just makes you more angry. I actually think that that will be the case with this Leafs team. Not say people will be angry at them if they come back, but I don't think it's going to be a bunch of media eating crow about a group that proved they couldn't get it done. It will look like a group that was sitting on their hands for three straight games and Mm -hmm. decide to turn it on. So, again, I would love nothing more than to come on here I don't know. Uh, My understanding is game seven is scheduled for August of next year somehow with the way these are. (laughs) I would love nothing more than eventually come on and talk about the Leafs winning the series. But one, it's not going to happen. And two, it is not going to save them from all the arrows that they've rightfully taken leading up to this. No, I think one development as a selfish media person myself is Mm -hmm. that the media sort of has been absolved a little bit in this run. Like everyone's attention is actually where it should be now, which is on the players who have not been able to get it done. And yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be some point in your face and laugh if there is a comeback. Oh, but I, I mean, have said so many things that could get clipped and thrown in my face, and I'd I'd rather the Leafs win and me be wrong than the other way. I around. will willingly and with delight eat the crow, one hundred percent. If we're even talking about a game, what would it be six? Yep. on Monday morning yep. next week. I will will have to step back a little bit because clearly we have a series at yep. that point. And I kind of want to go through that while we have the chance, like the stages of a comeback, mm. because we might not get to talk about it. No. It could be over tonight. <laughs> and I would like to at least ponder and look at the possibility of what it might look like if they can come back. We have four guests this morning, three of which will talk about the Leafs, Sam Cosentino at 7 a.m. Michael Layton's coming on at 7.40. He was in net for the Philadelphia Flyers the last time, or the second last time, rather. A team came back from a 3 nothing hole, and we got Mike Rupp, who has not been shy to share Leaf opinions. He has thoughts on, uh, on 
I mean, the Leafs, let's be honest, mostly Austin Matthews. And again, there's been two guys who I think have been taking the lion's share of the criticism in this market. They deserve to. And uh, yes, we'll bring on Mike Rupp and put it on a tee yeah, for Yeah, we'll be pandering a little bit to those Leaf fans who are most angry at the Stars uh, because he will surely share an opinion on what we've seen from them. And we got Dan Schulman for our... I mean, again, I've said it before, we're so spoiled we get to do the, like, the one... Blue Jays weekly update, at least it seems. And we get Dan Schulman to do it for us, which is don't awesome. Get, don't get him started on the Leafs. I've seen his tweets. He wants to complain. He's got Does Leafs. He? Oh, yeah. He's got Leafs thoughts. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to have well, to ask him that. Like, because, I, don't, like, I don't know the, like, I think people are happy when Schulman comes on. We're all in a good mood. Yeah, Even when the true. Jays stink last night, it's still, you got the summer feel and Schulman comes on and there's a million players on a baseball team. So you could always spin a positive narrative. I don't know that we want to drag Schulman into the depths no, and, of Leafs hell with us. And we've tried, not with the Leafs per se, but we've tried to be like, hey, uh, are you a Masters guy during yeah. Masters Week? And he's like, nope. We're going to stop you right there. We're only doing Blue Jays. I'm like, okay, Dan. Yeah, yeah we'll only do Blue Jays. Packers, That's maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we could probably reel them into that. Uh, so, yeah, four great guests this morning. Uh, let's talk about the four lines, though, that the Maple Leafs are going to be throwing at <laughs> the New Jersey Devil or New Jersey Devils. Where did that come Mike from? Mike Rupp on the, the brain. That's why. Florida Panthers. Our yes. pre-show prep. Stanley Cup winning goal to 2003. That's uh, fantastic for Mike. Uh, at the Florida Panthers tonight. Um we can run them down in a second. But first, is it is this kind of Sheldon Keefe's last hurrah? Is that what it feels like? Does it feel like, oh, this is my last stand. This is what I want. This is what I will go down with the ship with? Or is this kind of just, you know, is this still a collaborative effort where we're just trying to put together the best thing for the players, the team, the organization to save face, PR? I don't really, I don't really know. But I feel like one of the big considerations entering this game is, okay, if Sheldon Keefe is truly a dead man walking, do we get anything different out of him? Is it going to feel different in the post game? Is it going to feel different in game? Because really, that's kind of his safe space. Mm -hmm. Like, if we're talking about authority issues with this team, when Sheldon Keefe is on the bench coaching, it's only him. Well, okay. It's him out there. Okay, are we, are we sure? This was the same guy who, when they put... I forget the kid's name. I'm sorry. Jed Alexander. Jed Alexander wearing his road hockey pads. Yeah. When they put him in, he didn't. We all heard the quote. That didn't. The call came from inside the house. It was not yes. me who made that. So is he? <laughs> well, like, I would love you, to sit here and agree with you. He has said in a post game, mm -hmm. that was not my decision to put a player on the ice in a National Hockey League game. Extenuating circumstances, yes. Okay. Do I have a problem with that? No. But he, but he has said yeah, at oh yeah, the podium. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. But, I mean, he could ignore it this he time. He could. Because there are no consequences. He not understands yeah, the consequences of not listing and does it really matter at that point. But I don't really think that's we're, – we're taking a little far, I think. Uh, although, yeah, I think there's a little outside influence going on. Mm -hmm. But at least this is his safe space. So do you think when you look at this lineup, it is the down with the ship, this is my team, this is how I want it sort of lineup uh, that he's put out there. And to quickly run it down, Callie Yarncroke promoted to the top line with Matthews and Marner. Kerfoot reunited with Tavares and Nylander on the Why line. Not? That will never, ever, 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 ever work. But it's back. Bunting down on the third line, which has been pretty yeah, pretty good at times that. with O'Reilly and Achari. And, of course, the fourth line of Aston Reese, Camp, and Lafferty skating together. Doesn't mean we'll see all of them because Mark Giordano skated as the seventh defenseman. Actually took some power play two minutes, which would make you think they do have an 11-7 yep. prepared for this game. But when you look at that lineup, does it scream, this is what Sheldon Keefe wants to do with his last stand as coach of the Maple Leafs? Partially, but... 
I think it all goes back to what you've seen about the way this team is built. You can throw those forward lines together any way you want. They have tried every conceivable combination of those four guys. They've tried splitting them up with one guy on three different lines, and then you double up somewhere else. They have tried loading them all up together. They have tried every possible combination. So I don't know what version of this is Sheldon Keefe doing what he wants. Michael Bunting is a guy he's kind of zeroed in on sometimes. And again, I don't have a problem with that. It's a classic coaching move of I can only, you know, I can only go so hard at my star players. So I'm going to go really hard at the guy on the their line so it's not lost on me that bunting you know eats it a bit so I don't look at that as a demotion I look at that as quite honestly probably probably the line he trusts the most in in that game and then with the D pairs you know I could be I could be talked into the idea if he wanted to split Brody and McCabe up and was told he couldn't but outside of that I don't see anything there if you were scratching Giordano that to me would be something that looks like oh I was told I couldn't do this or there was push back from this decision if Giordano is scratched but if he's out there as the seventh D then I really don't look at this as some coach saying all right screw it it's going to be my way because this is my last stand or whatever it is and part of that is just the way the roster is put together you can only you can only build this puzzle or put this puzzle together in so many different ways yeah uh, I definitely think that's the case I mean it's not like he hasn't got or gotten his preference at times <laughs> over the course, like yeah. uh, we joke and we and we surmise that there, are, this is a collaborative effort. It may be too much of a collaborative effort, but in the end, uh, Sheldon Keefe only has what he has, and there's only really so much you can do. Um, besides, you know, mixing up the core four and going completely nuclear, bringing Ryan O'Reilly up. Like, yes, there are a lot of options, and he is the master. Masters actually much of us too much of a stress, <laughs> but he loves to tinker. He loves to change things. He will change things on the fly. He will be coaching the way he believes is best. You would think when this game starts, it's just a matter of whether that's good enough or whether or not he's the right person actually to do this job. I am fascinated with him more than anyone else tonight, though, because if it goes poorly, yeah, we're going to get the same stuff from the Leafs. are going to be completely sullen, downtrodden. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really, really, it's going to be the same. It's going to be the replay of what we've seen many times over, perhaps just a little bit worse. But Sheldon Keefe is in a different position here where he cannot hide his emotions post game. And I don't even know if he'll need the truth serum to be really, really honest if he has the chance to speak openly about this group, about his role, about the situation uh, after the game. Maybe that is reserved for the Sunday, Monday, postmortem, whatever. Maybe he won't even get the chance to actually speak his mind because Nick Nurse didn't really get much of a mm-hmm. chance other than the immediate aftermath yep. of, you know, the, the play and loss. But I have, if I'm interested in anything, assuming this team does fail, Sheldon Keefe postgame is top of the top of the charts for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm curious to see which way it goes. The thing I'm interested in is obviously, I mean, there's a little bit of it that's human nature. It's entirely possible just some frustration and venting comes out if it is ultimately the end and it is another embarrassing loss. That is possible. But, you know, this is a guy who completely realizes what's on the table for him. You know, we all can look at the flaws. And again, I want to be clear. I am probably the, and I'm not saying you're you're leading this band, you're leading the charge for this. I'm the last guy to blame Keith for any of this. I'm not saying he is without blame. I just think there's plenty of other places I'm going to I'm sure. going to put my arrows. But I think if you're somebody like Keith, you know other NHL teams are looking at you. This did not go so horrendously that you are not going to ever get another crack. You're going to probably get another shot somewhere. And I know that we all think what teams want to hear is just going nuclear, killing those guys. But I think 
if I'm a if I'm the GM of a team or I'm a team president hiring a coach, do I want to hear that when it's the easiest thing in the world to do and you're done and you're walking out the door and now you're burning bridges left, right, and center? No, I don't want to see that. I if I want if I'm hiring you as my coach, I wanted you to do this mm. three games ago before you needed to do this in a end of season availability because your year's over. So the idea of you know we always talk about coaching through the media. He's going to kind of be speaking through the media, interviewing for his next job entirely possibly. And if it is a, I don't know that teams will want to hear him just burying the stars who, hey, not the craziest idea that he could end up coaching one of these guys down the road in another market somewhere. I'm not saying anybody's lining up to reunite all this together, but it could happen. So I don't know that just because he's free and just because he's clear. Fans, yeah, they want to hear it. And if it goes badly tonight, they'll really want to hear it from him. But I don't know just based on the PR perception of what is next for him that that's the right play. Well, I think you arrived at kind of my point far more effectively than I did. Um, He is the only one whose performance does affect future employment, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you could look you could look at, I don't know, Mark Giordano and be like, oh, he can't play anymore, yeah, something yeah. like that, right? Sure. Like, But Brendan Shanahan's had many careers. He's probably okay. Yep. Uh, Kyle Dubas has done everything possible to command respect around the league and will be hired the moment he's let go, if he is. Sheldon Keefe's future is not so firm, is no. not so uh, solid. I mean, he has been exclusively tied to Kyle Dubas. He's in the NHL because he had a relationship mm-hmm. with Kyle Dubas. And I don't know where it, where he st- stands if things don't go well here. And I wonder if he ever gets the chance, and this is what I was getting at, mm-hmm. to coach for himself. Because we've been talking about the influence, the collaboration, and whether or not this is truly what Sheldon Keefe wants to put out there in the world. Whether it's the lineup decisions, whether it's the narrative, whether it's the the way he wants to answer questions, whatever that may be, I don't think his next job is so certain. Yes, he will work in the league again 100%, but it's not like Dubas, and it's not like a Mitch Marner who, Mm -hmm. if he fails spectacularly and he burns bridges and everyone wants to turn on him, there will be... Maybe not 31, because there will be some crazy GM out there that doesn't see the value. A lot. But there will be a lot of teams that will be lining up to try and get him into the fold. Mm -hmm. He is the the most uncertain future, and I wonder if that reality will bring any change to him tonight. Uh, But it did bring change to the lineup, and you did mention the changes with the defense pairings. Uh, Jake McCabe and TJ Brody broken up at last. Uh, it was supposed to be, and I think in the minds of many, the shutdown pair that you could get, be really confident about. I mean, TJ Brody has been that guy. Jake McCabe has come in and been physically really mm-hmm. strong, had great underlying numbers with the lowly Chicago Blackhawks. Like everything would point towards this working, and it has not worked in the postseason. And now with his dying breath here, Sheldon Keefe has split them up. So I think that this has been, and again, it's not that people haven't mentioned this. It's not that people haven't noticed this. It's just, there is so much place to spew vitriol that it is only going so many places. We've talked about Giordano's struggles and I'm not the first person to mention this, but it's far been, it's been far from a focus for this team is what's up with TJ Brody. He is a completely different version of himself than we've seen. I don't know, and I hate this when immediately people go, oh, the player's below this expectation. He must be hurt. I mean, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. Everybody is hurt to a certain extent at this time. He just doesn't look right. He can't make a pass, and you're just, for a guy who has always been the most steady decision maker back there, you never worried. There was no panic. There still isn't worry, and there still isn't panic in his game, but 
the plays he ends up making result in it afterwards. It's just a guy who's been so rock steady. And again, whether he's hurt, if this is just a terrible month of play at the worst possible time that it could come, we'll, we'll never know. But I think that's a big part of it as well, is when we talk about this Leafs decor, yeah, Morgan Riley has turned himself into, well, I was about to say a version we've never seen, but we kind of see it every year at, at this time of the year. But so much of it has been Brody and how solid he's been. And once you take that away, it is such a pillar of what you have on your blue line that, yeah, Jake McCabe, I do like it, what you've seen out of him. I love the physicality that he brings. And if he was playing with the version of TJ Brody that we see more times than not, or we've seen for the vast majority of his stretches of leaf, then you do really like that as a shutdown pair. But as much as it's been a problem and McCabe has pinched at times when he shouldn't and not to absolve him as well, but that's that pair struggled because of Brody, not because of McCabe, in my opinion. Yeah, and in some ways, the task gets more difficult for TJ Brody because he'll be playing with Justin Hall based on line rushes mm-hmm. yesterday. And Justin Hall has been in and out of the lineup, of course, has yep. been mistake prone, has been on the ice for a million goals, at least he was in the Tampa Bay Lightning series. Except to I, 15 now, this play. <laughs> 15 is is a big, big number yeah. through nine games, unfortunately. And uh, again, he hasn't played in all nine of those games. So I, I think that would be, you know, easily an average of two per game, mm-hmm. which is going Not to good. hurt you, yeah. especially when you're only scoring two goals per game against the Florida Panthers uh, in round two. So the task is more difficult here. The for Eastern Conference Brown. semifinals. Sounds better. It, do, but do they deserve the, the positive just, spin? Just mix it in once in a while I'm to make try me to feel good. Okay. It does... It does does sound me. so much better. Just for that tattered like leaf flag accompl- on my car. It sounds like you've accomplished something. It really does. Eastern Conference semifinal. Uh, yeah. So TJ Brody, yeah, maybe the minutes dial back a little bit because you're playing with Justin Hall. And maybe that helps him because he's dealing with an injury or dealing with whatever. Uh, but he'll still have to be the TJ Brody of old if he's going to survive those shifts with Justin Hall. That leaves Jake McCade to play with Timothy Lilligren. And it's funny. This was like not an option at all. Tampa. Uh, mm-hmm. First three games against Florida, but they ended the season with Timothy Lilligren and Jake McKay playing mm-hmm. together uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Rangers to close the season. Both victories, both meaningless, obviously victories because it was the end of the season and it wasn't one of these playoff games that we've been talking about. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to glean really anything from those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, regular season numbers with leaf pairings are always good because it's a good team that generally drives play, especially yeah. when the result or when the games don't mean much. But there is experience here. There is something to build on. There's a foundation, at least, between these two guys. I don't know if, in my mind, it makes the most sense. I don't know if it's going to survive anything. But it's going to be... It's. It, I don't know if it's born out of necessity either. But it seems like a pairing that is going to get a reasonable chance to take the ball and run, at least in the short term here. Because Jake McCabe, frankly, is too important. And what we've seen from TJ Brody and Justin Hall has been too tenuous to believe that... This this group won't be used a fair amount. This isn't going to be a sheltered third pair. They're going to have to be good if they're going to beat Florida tonight. Yeah, I mean, you look at Timothy Lilligren, I think it's pretty safe to say no Leaf was hurt more by the moves that were made at the deadline. I mean, William Nylander emotionally. He, he fell apart. He really He did. fell apart after those the acquisitions were made. We saw we saw Willie all sad at the, the Springsteen concert or whatever when all his boys were leaving. The old Swedish connection was headed out the door. Okay, that hurt him the most emotionally. But in terms of place on the roster... 
Lilligren, think about it. For all the warts, and again, I'm higher on Sandine than most, so feel free to knock me down if I'm wrong about this, but it's like for all the warts we had about Sandine, that was looking like a pair that was really developing, and you could, now again, this is the conversation of developing and winning at the same time, and did I want that pair as my third pair in a Stanley Cup playoff game? No, I did not, but did I like them in November as a third pair? You bet I did. I really did, and he had a really good uh, relationship as well with Giordano, but once you brought in all of the extra defensemen, Lilligren and Giordano was no longer a thing. And then the other guy he played with all the time was no longer on the team. And for a young player, you know, this is the case I make about Sandine. If Rasmus Sandine had a right-handed Mark Giordano to play with, would we think about him in a little different way and that he had that sage veteran guy to play alongside him? Mm-hmm. That really helped Lilligren take strides. Now, I'm not saying McCabe is the same guy as Giordano. Obviously, he's not. But I think just having that familiarity, they're both young guys, and this is heading into next year. These guys are both going to be part of the picture. We know McCabe's got term. Lilligren, obviously, he'll have one more year, and then RFA after that, he's likely not going anywhere. The, yeah, the, I mean, you hate to say this in a Stanley Cup playoff game, but man, this might be really good for next year, the way those two <laughs> look together. It's yep. it's infuriating, that's where we're at, but I do like, I do like the idea of trying it out, because also, the thing about McCabe is that now the one area where you worry about that pair a little bit is that Gio and Lilligram work so well because Giordano didn't do anything. And I say that as a positive. He wasn't pushing the play in any way, shape or form. The game will come to him and that is fine. Jake McCabe, a little different. He likes to, he's going to have to dial it back. He's going to have to dial it back or Lilligram's going to have to dial it back Mm -hmm. a little bit. And that is part of the growth process that you hope you see with the young defenseman. And I hate that I'm having that conversation on the game day of a Stanley cup playoff game. With one of the few players that actually has been drafted and developed by this yeah. organization and is contributing in a Eastern Conference semifinal. Thanks for that. Uh, the thinking might be there that, hey, your three best defensemen are in three different pairings. And maybe that's just, that's necessity at this point. Morgan Riley. Yeah, they're on not the first pair. team that's done that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, oh, there's no let up with this Florida Panthers team, which is true, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, oh, we got to deal with these two lines and then it's kind of, you know, we're on the tack yep. exclusively when we're against these two lines. No, it's Florida is coming at you in waves. The forecheck is nonstop. They are dangerous through all, well, three lines, their fourth line. We haven't talked about their yep. fourth line. It's so, like Eric Stahl could not keep up at the Olympics. <laughs> Without any chellers. Like, uh, he, whatever. He, he just looks so checked out. This is like a thing that, again, just reading way too much into one little moment. But when I was at the game, game two, you know, we're, I'm sitting there in the press box and it is a, like, it's not quite a TV timeout, but something was going on. They had to bring out the people to scrape the ice or whatever it was. So it's a Leafs power play, I think. And the Panthers are killing a penalty. All five of the Leafs are all huddled up and, you know, who knows what they're talking about in there. Maybe somebody, mm-hmm. maybe somebody's doing the Joe Namath, like, is that John Candy back there? And then you've got the three Florida Panthers all huddled up and Eric Stahl's just standing at the faceoff dot. Like, I, I'm not going over there. That is too much for me to exert myself. So, yeah, he just seems <laughs> completely checked out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the fourth line that you don't have to worry about, yeah. but you got to worry about all three lines. And that's maybe why all three pairings have at least the best offering you can possibly put out there with TJ Brody anchoring the Hall unit. Riley anchoring the Shen unit, of course, and McCabe and Liljegren playing together. At least we believe, and for now, there's a seventh defenseman variable with Mark Giordano as well. But last time we see Gio as a seventh defenseman, he did not play all that much. He played sparingly, and it looks yeah, like, like Gustafson. Less than 10, right? It was like eight, nine minutes, something like that it was, for Gio? It was less than seven for yeah. sure at Jeez. five on five. Less Oof. than seven for sure at five on five. And Gustafson, high event Gustafson, it does not look like we'll get the opportunity to have any impact <laughs> on game four. Of the Eastern Conference uh, semifinal. I uh, just, sorry, just Gustafson. I cannot believe 
it, Bob Cole must live in his head. Everything is happening at all points in times with him on the ice. It's good. It's mm-hmm. bad. It is never neutral with that guy. And and it's honestly when it's not neutral and you're going well, they're not going nuclear. Let's yeah. be honest. No. But like the wild card that could kind of shift things a little bit in your favor. Like yeah, it could go poorly for sure. But he is a weapon. Yeah. And you've only scored two goals per game. Anyway. Uh, now, now I'm going to turn into a, a texter or caller. Why not try him at wing? They need a guy on the but left like, side. This, this, no, this is actually a real discussion because you're going to play seven defensemen. Yep. Why not have the guy who can actually give you something in terms of plus value mm-hmm. in the game when he doesn't even have to play a regular uh, shift? I, this is where if you're going to have a seventh defenseman tonight, quite frankly, and you know, God love Gio, everything he has done for this team and taking the 800K, it should be Eric Gustafson. It right. should. And when he's playing, if he's playing second power play minutes at any point in this game, and I don't know, well, like there probably will be a couple seconds, but let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's going to go to waste, likely, mm-hmm. and Eric Gustafson will be watching from the press box. The only other lineup thing is Joseph Wall is starting. We expected this. Uh, the most, the funniest thing that happened yesterday in terms of Leaf sound was Sheldon Keith being like, oh, okay. his brain it was shambles in the brain. We can drop that. He basically <laughs> could not comprehend. Shambles in our brains. He could not comprehend the next question uh, because amazing. he was asked and so rattled by <laughs> the notion that Matt Murray could potentially start. And if there was any, like, Freudian slip. If there was any like, uh, yeah, my management team is garbage. It was that because it's like, it was not even, it didn't even cross his mind that the guy who's won two Stanley cups gets paid just short of $5 million was an acquisition over the summer. And I understand he's been hurt, but that the, the suggestion that he could potentially see the ice in this game threw Sheldon Keefe off so much that he could not even listen to the next question that was posed to him was very, very funny. And pretty uh, apropos, honestly, of what the situation is, because um, you know it's clearly Matt Murray has lost. We got it. If any we bet. Ju- yeah, we, we'll go to that in a second. It, yeah. He's lost all like value he's had to this organization with his inability to be available. And now that he is available, he's not an option. And let's hear that clip now. What's the nature of Ilya's injury? Upper body. And did you consider playing Matt Murray at all tomorrow? No. The next question, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, sorry, I could not, I, I just couldn't pay attention to That's, what you were saying. That is me. That is the actual exact answer I have when people have been trying to talk least with me in public. I had a guy, I was at the grocery store yesterday. Now, part of this is just decked out in Canadian's gear. He had like a t-shirt on mm. and a hat. And he's, he's like, just looking for, saying, how about those leafers every year? And I actually, I just said to him, I'm not doing this with you. There's too much going on here. <laughs> and I just walked away. I'm doing, that's my move. I'm not engaging anymore. Fellow members of What do you do? Are you just, uh, you're just so recognizable? Are you wearing the car gear? Flag. It's the car flag. It's the car flag. It's the car flag. Okay. They're like, wow, that thing, that thing looks like it was in the second world war with Johnny Bauer. Uh, wow. What a, what an incredible artifact. Uh, I need to chirp this guy about his beloved hockey team. So Joe Wall prioritized tonight over the non-option, Matt. Murray. I told you the only way I wanted is I, I, it sounded like I was joking, but I cannot double down in being serious on this enough. Mm-hmm. The only way Matt Murray should see the ice tonight is if Joe Wall is injured or if the Leafs, and again, it's the look them in the eye thing. And you know, these guys are not coming home to play another hockey game and they're about to lay an egg. I genuinely think fine, sick Matt Murray on that situation. If you're so convinced that that's what's going to happen, then you should do that because Joe Wall doesn't deserve to eat whatever's coming his way if this team's going to go lay an egg. Now, I don't expect the 
Sheldon Keefe to come out and say, oh, yeah, these guys are just going to, they're going to throw up all over themselves. I might as well throw my backup. That's never going to be a thing said, mm-hmm. but that's the only scenario I want Matt Murray starting this game. Okay, so two questions based on this decision, which is honestly an easy decision. Um, what does it say about Dubas's goaltending process? Okay. And what does it say about next season? Uh, it says the Matt Murray gamble was not a great one, and this was always where we were at on this. I think the Samsonov being injured part of this is that I think we always look at teams and we always think of the decision they made, right? But this is something we talked about yesterday with the idea that they've already laid out a plan, A, B, C, D, E, and F for this this um, this offseason. And I think part of what the Dubas goaltending plan was was hopefully one of, hope, I mean, perfect plan, both guys hit. It's a goaltending tandem for the ages. You're selling one guy off at some point in time and Joe Wall comes up. I think that's the perfect case scenario. Obviously, it wasn't going to happen. The next case scenario is kind of what you've seen play out where Samsonov has proven himself to be a capable starting goalie. At times, really, really good. Maybe top 10 in the NHL at times. At times, below that. But on the balance of body on his work, a capable starting goalie. And then you have a guy in Joe Wall who I think the plan was always for him to be pushing to be the 1B by next year. And that's exactly where you're at. So the Matt Murray bet was an expensive one. It was one that hurt this team this year. I was on record saying it was a massive mistake to prioritize taking him off LTIR and not using the cap space that you could have had at the deadline. But I don't think this is some proof that Kyle Dubas's goaltending failed him. I don't think that's what happened. Ilya Samsonov was not stealing them this series, but he's not the reason they lost it. If you had to go to Joe Wall because Ilya Samsonov couldn't hack it and Matt Murray was still hurt, I don't think that's a disaster based on what we've seen out of Joe Wall. So I can understand looking at it and saying, are you kidding me? Got a kid who's been with the Marlies all year starting a must-win game for you. That's a problem. I can understand arriving at that based on just those facts. But when you look at the roadmap to get here, I think it. I think this was part of one of the plans. So it wasn't the chief option they wanted, but it was very much in play. And I, I don't have an issue with the way the goaltending played out this year. It, it Outside is, of Matt Murray not coming or not using his cap space at the deadline. That's fair. It is somewhat ironic, though, that the one thing that Dubas could not... could not produce himself, which was a goaltender from within is playing in this game, which could be the last that he watches uh-huh. from the press box, right? Like it finally arrives, a capable goaltender, yep. potentially on a decent ticket, who's going to grow into his role, who's going to get better as yep. the experience continues for him. We and think it's goaltending. Like we, I, think. we should always we should always throw the caveat 100%. Out. Yeah. But like this is the only time it's even been an option totally. that someone has come up, that someone has shown any relevance from within the organization because to this point previously... Kyle Dubas has had to go out and try to fix the issue with spare parts from other teams, mm-hmm. with problems from other teams, with guys who were deemed expendable by other teams. He's exclusively gambled with the position rather than develop someone from within, I guess. And I know you can't snap your fingers and make it happen, but it's something that was neglected six, seven, eight years ago and has caused them to be in a position where they're in, where they cannot get a goaltender who's going to be reliable uh, available, performing at a high level. It's the it's the bugaboo for Dubis, and it is ironic that finally, maybe, Joseph Wall, from within, is going to be there when it doesn't really matter. And I think that it was a gamble, right? He gambled this offseason with two guys who he thought, hey, maybe one of them hits, and one of them did hit. Ilya Samsonov hit. But 
you play two hands of blackjack, you win one, you lose one, you're in the same place you started. Well, and I think, so I don't know that you're quite in the same place you started. The The other shoe to drop on all this is that you're in the same place you started in that you don't have the better goaltender in the series. Well, but I think that ba- the way Bobrovsky has played in this series, and again, he is not... He he has not been, you know, a one-of-one one peak Vasilevsky or anything like that, but you could have had a the 10th best goalie in the league this year, and you still lose that goaltending battle nine times out of ten. Of we course, just of course. We just saw the avalanche. What did they do? They won a cup with a guy and said, get out of here. No, thanks. I know he blinded himself in the cup final, so maybe that, that bleeds into it. And what ended up happening? The goaltending bet didn't mm-hmm. pay off. It's just I, I understand the point that is being made about goaltending. Of course, you want to develop and bring guys in with within. I just... I look at that as the black box in all of hockey. Teams every year make bets on goaltending, and sometimes they hit, and sometimes they don't. For so, for a guy to make two and hit on one of them, good enough that the goaltending was serviceable enough for them. Now, the thing, the other, the other shoe to drop in this equation, and the thing we've all kind of like, ha ha, joked about. But okay, now, now the proof is in the pudding. This off season, I think a lot of people thought at least partially part of the bet made on Matt Murray was that if it was a complete injury albatross with the history, with all the parties involved, there was some belief that there could be a resolution worked out that did not involve the Leafs being in cap jail. And now the proof is in the pudding to find out on that. Now, what does it mean if the guys that Matt Murray has all the relationships with in Sheldon Keefe and in Kyle Dubas are no longer here? How does that change the the calculation for all these things? So just another interesting wrinkle there. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I fall on the goaltender. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's going to be someone new running this team, uh, you know, the Mickey Mouse sort of nature that kind of encapsulates this group where it's like, yeah, we're, we're on the up and up, right? We don't put Matt Murray on LTIR because he's available and we don't do cap shenanigans I hated here that. with the Toronto I Maple Leafs. hated that. They are, that is part of their brand. Squeaky clean is part of the Maple Leafs brand. But if you actually want to take a step, if you want to find someone more effective than Kyle Dubas, you're going to need someone who's cutthroat. And that person's going to have to come in and make difficult decisions. And first and foremost, it's going to be getting rid of Matt Murray. Because if there's one little competitive advantage that they can have next year, it's that Joseph Wall might might be your starter earning seven hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and Ilya Samsonov might be actually the one A of that tandem, yep. and he's not going to make that much money because he's got he's got arbitration injury. and he's got injury, and you're not going to give him all that money. You're not going to give him a massive contract. Yep. Your goaltending could be cheap, cheap, cheap if you find a way to just make Matt Murray disappear. Well, and, to, and again, making people disappear is going to be very important for this team. It's going to be really important. But again, to go back to, and you know, to go back to Dubas and the work he has done on this, was it his own mistake that he had to clean up? You bet it was, but we all thought, I, I, I thought, I thought he was going to have to give the other Kyle, his house to take Peter Mrazek away from him. And he moved down six spots in the draft. I'm not saying that that's what it's going to take to move off Matt Murray. That mm. was an incredible, but my point is, is that if a player, if a player in the past has performed in a way that exceeds, we say, look at this. This was a huge moment that came through. That's exactly what Kyle Dubas did in moving that Peter Morazic. Now, does it mean he's going to be able to do it at the snap of a finger with Matt Murray? No. Does it mean he's even the guy making that decision on Matt Murray? No. But he has proved he's been able to make those kind of you know problems disappear. And sometimes it's come back in a. Ma- and I want to be clear. I won't just play the result on this. It has bit them in a massive way in the past. Boy, would Seth Jarvis look good in that top six right now? Okay. Yep. yep. So it is. Ha- it, it has been. He is not perfect in that regard. But the very recent history is problem goalie who is always hurt making a number that is way too much for him with one year left on the ticket. 
you find a way to get rid of it. Yeah, I find it really hard myself to give Kyle Dubas any credit for signing goalies, hitting on goalies, missing on goalies, I'm trading not, goalies. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's he is winning the goalie thing. I just don't look. I don't look at it as a. I look at this as a, if I'm doing like the report card of, okay, how do you build his decor? How do you build his prospect pool? I look at it as wholly in line with what most NHL GMs do with their goaltending. It is a lot of, okay, I don't have Connor Hellybuck. I don't have Jake Ottinger. Close my eyes, throw some darts at the board. Please, God, let it hit a bullseye. I yeah. think that's what happens across the league. I just do. Uh, yeah, and it, and it might be, it, 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 that might be the case. Um, but this is a... You know, signing and getting rid of goaltenders as an annual tradition is not a great look. Totally. Uh, for an NHL general manager and certainly one that is trying to win and is in the short list of teams that can realistically enter a season thinking they can win a Stanley Cup. Uh, we we started with that. That was a really nice break. If I know they're not listening, but if you're like, if you're Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews and you've just been getting just punched in the face every time you turn on your pods. It's like, oh man, they're killing the GM for the goalie. This is awesome. Yeah, More of this, yeah. please, guys. A, a moment, hey, there's uh, no, a moment of reprieve. There is no one safe, okay? Uh, other than my, my okay. My... Uh, let's let's get to Mitch Marner then. Yeah, because uh, we did the levity sound. Now let's do the sound that might <sighs> uh, get an emotion out of you, uh, Gunner. Um, so everyone's asked clearly about you know process and how they're feeling and what the you know what the team is doing to get maintain the focus yeah. and and basically just like general thoughts on the task ahead of course everyone's asked about that and Mitch Marner and William Nylander are two people that were brought out in front of cameras and microphones and they had two different approaches to answering the same sort of question being like you know how do you deal with the the situation that is in front of you uh, and let's hear both of those answers. And if we can start, guys, with Mitch Marner and his approach to, uh, you know, dealing with the mental hurdle and mental block and just the mental situation being down 0-3 and facing four games that are must win and the potential repercussion of having this all come crash down again. You know, I think we've been saying it this whole time. I mean, we don't care what you guys say. We don't listen to you guys outside of this locker room. Uh, we're just focused on ourselves and uh, this group in here. Okay, so yeah, focus is on the guys. Focus what is okay. on inside the room? Oh, you know, uh, you're set it up the way you want. I just, I, I am spitting mad hearing that right now. What do you? Okay, let me pose a question to the guys inside the room. What do you think? Are you thrilled about the way all this is going? Everybody's singing kumbaya, saying, "Oh boy, aren't we great?" Mm -hmm. Down three nothing in the Eastern Conference semifinal. Because you better believe that's the way they're phrasing it to themselves. Okay, let me oh. let me juxtapose while the Thank Marner you. sound is still fresh. Let's do Nylander if you got it now. I think it'll be fun. Uh, why? Because I think that's when you got to play your best. Okay, so the, he said, I think it's going to be fun. There was a skate sharpened at the perfect time there. Um, but Nylander smiling through it. Marner doing the Marner thing where he looks like his head's going to explode and he's just trying to get through his <laughs> session in front of the media. But Marner blaming the media and not caring about anybody else. And William Nylander smiling and saying, yeah, this is going to be fun. I asked you, Gunner, and I think I know the answer yeah. based on yeah, I think so too. where you went. I think to you start got this. it. Which one irks you the most? Oh, Mitch Barter by 10 trillion percent. Now, part of this is that I'll admit William Nylander for me is just different. He's just, he's a cool cat. He wasn't the first overall pick. He wasn't the fourth overall pick. He was the eighth overall pick. He doesn't make 11, six. He doesn't make 10, nine. He makes six, nine. Okay. That's why he's a different guy to me in all of this. And the other part of it as well is, I don't know. There's just something that doesn't seem 
put on about it by Nylander. That, when you hear the Marner sound, I don't know how you can hear anything else of a guy getting defensive about the questions he's being asked. And William Nylander clearly doesn't have the ability to get defensive about anything. And that is not me turning into an uncle in, in Mimico saying he never plays defense. When he wants to, he's perfectly fine at that part of the game. But it's just the, the Nylander thing, you can talk yourself into getting lathered mad about that one too. For me, it doesn't hit the same way. But the Marner quote, the idea of we don't care what anybody else outside the room says, okay, then forget about what anybody else outside the room says. What say you? How do you feel about how these three mm-hmm. games have gone? Because it seems like, based on how angry you are about what everybody has to say, that you think it's gone just fine. It's what it sounds like. I'm not saying that's what he thinks. I'm not saying that's what he's saying. That's how it comes across. And, and I think you could spin that and be like, that's how it comes across with Nylander too. But I think for this, sure. this is an authenticity thing for sure. I mean, William Nylander is just being William Nylander. And he, I think, just in general, finds talking to the media comical. I think that's like, a great I, way to I, I just, I, I think he thinks it's, the, it's so silly and so stupid <laughs> and it's just like, it's not that he hates it. He just thinks this is funny and ridiculous. And it is a little ridiculous. Honestly, we're talking about a children's game mm-hmm. that a bunch of rich men play to make even more money. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, and become superstars and revered and celebrities. It is at, at its core, very, very silly. And I think William Nylander sees it that way. It is the opposite for Mitch Marner. It is life or death. It is, you cannot, as much as it is focused on in the room, it's the exact opposite. What you're saying is completely false because everything that is happening around him affects him so, so much, at least it seems, that he cannot even with a straight face make it seem like it doesn't. And this is, you know, we're talking about, we're psychoanalyzing these guys constantly. Nylander is cool. Nylander is okay with this. If, if they lose, Nylander will be on the golf course in a couple days and he'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And that might, you might look at that as a big, big problem. But Mitch Marner in a couple days will be on the golf course blaming everyone else, it seems. And I, I think maybe both of them are failing to look, with, look within in the manner that you may need to, to actually have success when it matters most. In their different ways, maybe they are failing. But Marner's inability to... to put himself in the firing line at all to take any blame, to have any sort of culpability, I think is a massive issue. And I don't know if this is like the lesser of two evils because I think they're both of them. There's Mm -hmm. a bit of a problem here. And I think there's a problem just across the board uniformly with this team and their failure to like be responsible for what's happening to care enough to push it over the edge because both of them are like, both of them are not handling it the way you would expect someone at the end of the day to be toothless, lifting the Stanley Cup, the champagne poured all around them. Like, both of them don't look like, in this moment, those two guys. And it, they come about it from different ways. Yep. And I understand why you'd be more angry with the martyr thing, because it's inauthentic. Mm-hmm. But I think there's reason to look at both and be like, man, you guys just don't have it. The the Nylander quote is just indicative of what we see out of him all the time, of he doesn't play for two periods. or And again, to take it away from just one guy, not William Nylander. How many times have we seen? We've seen it in this playoffs, like three or four times already. This team not playing for 50 minutes of a game and going, oh man, we should probably try to steal this one. Let's try to steal it. Yeah, this is fun. We're playing fast and loose. Mm-hmm. If we give up a fifth goal, who cares? We were already getting pasted in this one. This is fun. It does seem indicative of the way this team kind of goes about their business. So I'm, I'm wholly with you there. And the Marner thing, I think it does go back to the idea of pressure and caring about being a leaf and not to say William Nylander doesn't care about it or Austin Matthews doesn't, but 
We've all look. We've all seen the the city TV clip, okay, of Marner at four years old saying, "I'm going to be a Leaf and the athlete of the week," and being told this was his life, okay. And a lot of Canadian kids have had that. A lot of Canadian kids haven't got to where it is, and I do think the pressure wears on him. And I think the pressure is a privilege and all that. And when it's going well, it is a boost to him. And that's why when he is going the way he is at his absolute best. It is buoyed by the fact that he's a Toronto Maple Leaf. But once the worm turns on that and the pressure ranks up, I do think it affects him more than anybody else because it gets the loudest around him, quite honestly. And it affects him and he's looking for someone else to blame. And I think as much as this, I think he's talking to the media. He's talking about the media. I think it's shot at fans too. Oh, it is 100%. The amount of fans I've had, and this is a bad analogy for a professional athlete, but I've heard so many buddies say, can you just pretend... I'm your dad and I'm yelling at you. And whether you think you did anything wrong or not, you just grumble and say the right thing that is going to make this conversation be over with and we can all move on with our lives. That, that is what so many people have wanted. Just the kind of tuck your tail between your legs. Yeah, we've been terrible. This is disgusting. That's what people want to hear. You're never going to hear it. And I honestly, I don't know what part of that is the idea of a uh, high-performance coach, you don't want to let any self-doubt in. If I'm well, how, about, the, how about the high-performance so, coach? So if I'm giving them the benefit... Oh, jeez, yeah. Have we Harden, made any progress yeah. here? Let's, let's, uh, the new Manny Malholtra of, what did you do here? You came in to fix a power play. That doesn't exactly look fixed, okay? Uh, but Malholtra was able to stick around. They brought in a new power play guy, so maybe they'll find something else for the high-performance coach uh, to, to do there. <laughs> what exactly do you guys do here? It's, it's, uh, look, there's a lot of people with a lot of jobs at, at MLSE, which he's, makes he's, the failure even more He's letting Sheldon Keefe know to put in Jet Alexander. That's right. uh, the Blue Jays, <laughs> the Blue Jays dropped the first one in Philadelphia last night. Manoa's slider continues to disappear, allude to him in any s- discernible way. Uh, maybe some managerial questions, a little bit of a late game strategy thing mm-hmm. uh, last night um, with John Schneider. We'll talk Blue Jays though with Dan Schulman at eight thirty this morning. We'll get back into the Leaf discussion, but next it's the A list. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's another big, big night on the network. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs continue with a doubleheader. First up, you know. Eastern Conference semifinal continues, 7 p.m. Toronto Maple Leafs. Florida Panthers in game four, and then in the nightcap, Oilers. Golden Knights. Oilers need a bounce back. They've been uh, money with those bounce backs. They have. We shall see if they can uh, submit another one. So another big, big night. And of course, Blue Jays and Phillies this afternoon. Um, Okay, A-list item for today. I think you're the perfect person to broach this topic to. Okay. So a guy named 50-year senior at Illinois. The Fighting Illini, I believe. Tommy Cool, I believe his name is. Sure. Uh, He shot a... Course record 62, I believe, at Los Angeles Country Club. Okay. In a U.S. Open qualifying event. Um, He went out with some of his buddies afterwards, his teammates, and they were talking about how hard it was to putt on that day. Apparently, it wasn't for old cool. But uh, one of his buddies says, yeah, those aerated greens, really, really difficult to putt on those aerated greens. And cool apparently had a eureka moment when they were talking about the aerated greens he said, I felt sick to my stomach. I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep if I didn't tell a rules official. So apparently he had repaired aeration marks multiple times during the round <laughs> and basically invalidated his own 62. He will not uh, be playing at the U.S. Open like he should have been after firing a course record at a course that 
the PGA Tour yeah. goes to, I believe, every year or at least. That, not every that's year. That's going to be U.S. Open event. That will be the U.S. Open host so, this year, yep. So this guy could have gotten away with this. He's could've. not Patrick Reed. No. He could have easily been at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. but he had to come back tail between the legs, or at least he thought he did, yep. because of aeration marks. Now, my question out of this is like, okay, wow, so honorable. Wow, that's yeah. great. Uh, whatever. Aeration marks, mm-hmm. they, how could you not notice them? No, that's the thing, is that this is a guy who, I mean, he must have been completely spaced out or he's just Explain lying. Explain aeration for so, me. So, yeah, it's the guy, like, you're punching the greens. There are holes in the green. It mm-hmm. is not a little, like, sometimes you'll see guys fixing spike marks or there'll be where a ball left a ball, a pitch mark. You'll see guys fixing that. That is all well within the rules. Aeration is when a machine comes and punches holes in the, the green. The entire green will have holes in it. Kind of wild they were playing a U.S. Open qualifier there, but that is neither here nor there if the greens have been punched. But the idea that somebody would be that good at golf or even just play golf on a regular basis and not know that, that is wild. But I will tell you this much, just knowing the golf community at large, I would be floored if he doesn't get a sponsor's exemption, not into the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. but he will get, whether it be Corn Ferry or actual PGA Tour, this guy's going to get a sponsor's exemption because there's nothing golf loves more than the reverse Patrick Reed and going out of your way to call a penalty on yourself honorably. I have a feeling Liv was not interested in this moment no. of honor. They're like, what are you doing? Why didn't <laughs> you, you did punch what? those greens more? You should have <laughs> cheated more. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I had to like double check this because like I know what aeration yeah, looks like. It doesn't make any. It, there's how there, could you not? There's just no way you could not know. So he was cheating clear as day, and then had a had a change of and heart at the last this? moment. I don't know. Okay, so something not cool. Not cool, with Tommy. Not cool, Tommy. Not cool whatsoever. After the break, Sam Cosentino will talk about the. Uh, NHL draft lottery results where that leaves the top three teams and of course we'll talk about the Leafs and Panthers that's next with Sam Cosentino